This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And today... As promised last week, we are continuing our summer scouting the enemy series. This time, turning the spotlight on the Tennessee Volunteers. And our goal is to do just as the title of the series suggests. We want to scout the enemy. So we're going to break down their personnel, their schemes, their numbers, and probably most important of all, how we look to match up with this particular Tennessee team when we travel to Knoxville in late September. So basically, if you've listened to the first couple of ones we've done uh, with this series this year, we did uh, obviously Appalachian State. Notre Dame, Mississippi State, kind of making our way down the schedule. And now we oh, we skipped Samford, but uh, now we're on Tennessee. So be similar to those you checked them out. If you haven't checked those previous editions out, check those out. They are up there on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Dog Sports Radio, wherever you might check. Uh, so let's go ahead and keep going. Obviously, it's early, you know, it, but in my book, it's never too early to start looking ahead at these teams. That we're going to have to roll through if we want to reach our goals. But before we do run through the, the Tennessee preview here, I do want to quickly remind you that, you, that we uh, welcome the interaction with all you guys on social media. We really do appreciate that. Uh, our opinions are, I mean, seriously, at least in my view, are no more important than anyone else's. I don't know about you, Curve. You might have a more, more important opinion than other people, but I know I don't. Uh, so we encourage you to share your opinions and thoughts with us. You can do so on Twitter at glory underscore UGA via email at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com and uh, now also on our Glory UJ Podcast Facebook page. So check us out there. Uh, the Facebook page is definitely still early in its stages of construction, but it's up. And uh, it would be awesome if you could help us grow it by liking the page and sharing your thoughts with us, whatever they may be, positive, negative. We'd love to get any kind of feedback. So um, you can also find the show on any number of podcasting platforms out there, including the original host of our content, Dog Sports Radio, uh, but that now has expanded to include, of course, iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, all those apps. And, of course, we appreciate any subscribing, liking, following, any and everything that kind of helps us spread the word about the podcast as the season quickly approaches, man. Maybe you're just around the corner. All right, Kurt, let's get into this 2017 Tennessee football team. And let's start with their coaching situation because Butch Jones, the man of many cliches, He's been a topic of conversation himself, you know, just not even looking at the, the personnel on the team, just looking at the head coach and what he's done within the past couple of years. He's been a topic of conversation among the Vol fans for a lot of the offseason. It's the basically there's no one playing right now, so head coaches, they get the brunt of the criticism during the offseason. So over the course of his four, what, I think he's going into year five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, going into year five, uh, four-plus years as the Tennessee head coach. It's kind of been weird. He's, he's experienced, a, in my view at least, a rather dramatic reversal in how he has been perceived by the volunteer fan base. You know, 
initially, but think back when you first had that job. Remember, like, all the fans just eating up all those cliches. While all of us out there were rolling our eyes at the brick-by-brick brick kind of crap, they were eating that stuff up. They were rallying around it, that whole brick-by-brick brick philosophy and all that, as if it was basically scripture. They really they were rallying around it like it was scripture. It was the word of God. Um, and then that irrational butch adulation was it only intensified by some early success on the recruiting trail. Got a couple of top-rated classes. Um, largely that was because of what it promised for the future. But the future is now, and that's the thing. Uh, the future is now, and rather predictably, all of that promise hasn't been fulfilled, at least to this point, um, and to the expectations of people in the Tennessee fan base. And many in Vol Nation have grown rather disenchanted with the man they were once touting as the one who would return them to their uh, their place of glory, their rightful place of glory in their minds. I don't know about that, but of course that's how they look at it. Uh, but if you look at his win totals, while they have kind of been disenchanted with him, there has been, I mean, look at the win totals. There's been some steady improvement under Butch Jones in Knoxville. And I was watching a little bit of the SEC Media Days uh, coverage today. On him and today. Oh, it was, was it not ridiculous? I, I mean, I, just, I was doing a bunch of work, having to flip it on, just kind of have some what background noise on. disappointing is the just... Oh, dude, he was selling it, though, wasn't he? Like, he was he, trying, but everyone's just shaking his head at how dumb he is. Yeah, but you can almost see the guys on the, on the set there, McElroy and all the it's guys. Like he was, it's like you were watching a debate and he was in the spin zone. I mean, yeah, you can see the wide eyes and like the smirks and like the, hmm, the weird glances at his way. But, I mean, he, he clearly knew what was going to come, and he know, he you could tell he's heard the noise, right? Because oh, he yeah. Because he had his talking points ready to go and just rolling off the tongue. Well, if you look at what, you know, no one wants to take into account, you know, where we where this program was when we first got here, and we were the only. Pro- I think one of the things he said was we're the one of only three teams in the SEC that's won nine nine or more games the past two seasons. Congratulations, Butch. You know what? That got our coach fired. So eh, actually, more than that got our coach fired. So I don't know if that's something you want to be pounding your chest about. So he, he's heard it. You know he has, and it's it's clear it's affecting him on the recruiting trail because after, like I said a couple of nice classes early on in his tenure when he could sell the brick by brick, let's build a program that new young energy. Well, it hasn't really translated on the field, and now he has nothing to sell, and people kind of see him for the empty suitcase that he is. So I don't know, man. Uh, so what is your take? I mean, obviously it sounds like you're not a big Butch Jones fan, but what is your take on Butch Jones and the rest of this Tennessee coaching staff coming into the 2017 season? Uh, to me, more than anything, I think Butch is hard to say, but I kind of consider him a fraud. I mean, look at his recruiting. Ooh, about recruiting. Strong. The biggest thing about his recruiting is he builds his classes on nothing but three stars. Um, you know, he'll he'll pepper in a good guy here and there, but he, he brags about, you know, trying to say, oh, we're recruiting well. That's because you have 30 recruits to most kids, most teams 20. I mean, the, but the biggest telltale sign of it is when you look at the star, you know, the average star ranking. And also, look, at a lot of those guys he signed, a lot of them never, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but there are many of them that did not ever make it to campus. Some of the more highly recruited guys were, were there for a year or so and got washed out you know the attrition the rate receivers yeah the attrition rate has been pretty remarkable for that group. i mean preston williams guy from georgia that we were hard after jalen hurd is now playing wide receiver at baylor he's red during this year but he'll not be playing wide receiver at baylor uh, who was a mega recruit from one of his early big time recruits and that clearly didn't work out and jalen hurd made no exam no bones about it that basically he was sold a bill of goods by butch jones they were going to change the offense to more of a pro style offense to fit what jalen Hurd did well of course that never transpired and he felt lied to and deceived so he left um and now i mean you can whatever you think about him you know quitting on the team or whatever but the fact was he says at least i shouldn't say it's a fact but according to him he was lied to uh so yeah there's the recruit i i'm with you on the recruiting is kind of like smoke and mirrors there's a lot of attrition there and like you said 
a lot of the fact that they were ranked so high came from, or a lot of the reason they were ranked so high came from the fact that they just signed gigantic classes. And part of the recruiting rankings where teams end up ranked in the final uh, analysis is based on part how many guys did you sign and what's the quality. And they just signed so many of them that it kind of bumped their class. I mean, you had some good players built in there as well. But a lot of the time it was just, just by sheer volume there that they were able to vault themselves up into those higher numbers in the recruiting rankings. But in your view, how how has Butch Jones fared overall as a as a coach on game day? Actually out there well, – me the biggest thing is he I don't he doesn't do anything spectacular more than anything he wins it's more or less the a factor of their schedule um you know you see Tennessee um which they've done for a long time they win these games when it's the opponents they should be beating yeah I mean they they had a yeah I and mean, uh, like this past year we all talk about it this was their year to be Bama. Bama shuts them out at home. Well, they're, they were not. I mean, I don't know who was saying it was your, their year to be Bama. That was not going to happen. I mean, they beat I mean, Florida for the first time. Bama that it was going to be this past year. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I mean, there was there was some talk about that. I just don't think that was realistic coming this season. But I mean, if you look at what he's done, I mean, and I'm not going to try to defend him. Let me just throw out both sides of the story here. They went from five wins in year one in 2013. And to his credit, or in fairness, they were coming off the disastrous Derek Dooliera. Uh, after Lane Kiffin and that whole deal, so he he did have a mess to clean up. So they went from five years and five wins in year one to seven wins in year two to nine wins in year three, and then they kind of plateaued. Had another nine wins in 2016. So that's steady progress, right? So what what is their problem? Why are the Volunteer fans so upset to the point where the the talk coming into this season is Butch Jones is clearly on the hot seat? What is the deal? I mean, he's got from five I to nine. Accomplished nothing, to be honest. I mean, he's won these games, but. Has he won any game that truly matters? Kind of like Mark. He's beaten us two years in a row, which sucks. Uh, he shouldn't have won well, either yeah, game. But it's like, but, what, it's like what happened with Mark Rick. Like you said, he were winning nine games, but we were not accomplishing anything of true true value. Yeah, I mean they. And I think they the did beat us. Be fair there, but I, I will say in fifteen we blew that game. We blew a huge lead. Then last year we all know what happens. I don't want to relive that. So we beat ourselves in those games. They did. They did enough to win the game to be there, so that when we imploded, they could. St- find a way to win the game, but it wasn't like they dominated us. They snuck out with some wins because we kind of imploded down the stretch there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's the thing. To me, Butch has not, just hasn't done anything that makes him... But it's the expectations, right? That's yeah, what it I, is. Well, especially, I mean, like you said, when you start having good recruiting classes, comes high expectations. And that's what he's been selling, too. I mean, he's been being a salesman just as much as anyone talking about all that he's done, all that... Know, with the recruiting and everything, and that's the thing. People are getting antsy, saying, "Well, you know, you recruited. Now, where's the results?" I think the Tennessee people, uh, and look, I don't want to lump all. There, you can't ever lump all of the people in a fan base into one. There's, there's different sects, but a, a vocal group of the Tennessee fan base is upset because think, think back to this time last year, coming into the 2016 season. What was all the conversation in the ACC East this time last year? That they were going to run away with it. That they were well. a shoe in, like they were the runaway, head and shoulders above favorite of the SECs. There was no one that had a chance to really contend with them. No one. I mean, that was just, that was widely accepted belief. Because uh, they had Josh Dobbs coming back, you had Jalen Hurd, you had Kamara, you had Josh Malone, you had all the guys on defense, you had Derek Barnett, probably one of the best defensive players in the history of their school behind maybe Reggie White. You had Jalen Maven coming back, Cam Sutton, and all these star players coming back across the board. Defense, offense, special teams with Barry re- returning kicks. They had it. 
but they fell flat on their face. So in the, you will you went you go eight and four in the regular season, and then you get destroyed. You you just get embarrassed by Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt put up over six hundred yards of offense against this team last year. Vanderbilt. So you wet the bed there. There's look horrible, horrible down the stretch. You lose it even when you couldn't win the SEC East anymore. You lose a game to Vanderbilt that knocks you out of the Sugar Bowl. They would have been in the Sugar Bowl last year, which is a which is a game the Volunteer fans have not been in for a long time. They could have gone to the Sugar Bowl if they just would have beaten Vanderbilt last year. But they lost to Vanderbilt. Then you lose to South Carolina, a game you should never should have lost. It's just bad football down the stretch. A lot of that was injuries based. But when you had such high expectations, and part of that was Butch kind of said of himself, you know, uh, he had some success in the recruiting trail, got a lot of high-profile players in there. Maybe it's a little bit of the media not really knowing at all what's going on in the world and not understanding football because they can't that ever get it happened. right. What are you talking about? Huh? That never happens. No, never, ever, ever. They're, they're always spot on, especially when it comes to SEC East predictions. Uh, but, so, I mean, it's kind of a combination where he had some early success on the recruiting trail and started to, to build some wins from 5 to 7 to 9, and then the media wants to jump on They're always looking for the next best thing, the media darling, and by God, it was going to be Tennessee. You know, they were, the media was eating up his cliches just like the Tennessee fan base was. And I, and I think you're saying, on the some too, with the media and all this, they don't realize the Tennessee's fan base is starving for success. The media can get people fired, man. They, they get they coaches can. fired. I mean, look what happened with Rick. I mean, yep. People can say all they want, but there's a lot of media calling yeah, when for you, When you build the hype and, all, and the media puts expectations on a coach, on a program, you build that hype, and then the, and they don't deliver, then the fans, they want somebody's head. They want heads to roll. And that's why coaches will often kind of talk all that down. Like, no, no, I don't know what you're We're not that good. They'll, they'll play it down because they know if those expectations get too high and the hype gets too much, that fans will buy in. Because fans, we all want it. We want to win big. We all do. That's why we... Love this. I mean, I want a national championship more than anything in my life. I, the good Lord can go ahead and just take me away if we ever win one. Right there on the spot. I mean, it, that's, that's all I want. That's all I want in the world right now. But So fans eat that up. So it, it, any kind of hope from the media that they're selling us that your program is about to turn the corner, especially when you're like Tennessee, you've been down for so long, been embarrassed for so long. They want, it, they want to believe it. And they bought it hook, line, and sinker. And then when they fall short of expectations, and, and in some cases in an embarrassing way, an embarrassing manner, down the stretch, losing to Vanderbilt, losing to South Carolina, uh, Missouri putting up major yards all over them. Um, it's just they have now turned on. So for me, it's, this is what I see. Tell me if, you're, if, if, if I'm off base here. For me, I'm, I'm looking at Tennessee fans, and all those cornball cliches, the brick by brick, the champions of life, the five-star hearts, all of those little cliches that we that everyone else in the ICC and around the country has made fun of for the past four years, well, they have gone from being inspiring to the Tennessee fan base because they bought hook, line, and sinker to now being flat out embarrassing. So it's it's as if for the first few years of his tenure, they kind of the the Tennessee fans kind of reveled in deluding themselves that this guy was like who was like remember let's not forget he was like their fifth choice when they hired him. Nobody won that job. That they they kind of deluded themselves and think that he was going to take them back to the promise, and they bought it. They ate it all up, but now after falling short of winning the East in a year where essentially everyone in the world had them pick as the heavy favorite to get to Atlanta for the first time in a decade, those blinders that were on the Tennessee fans, they've kind of been unceremoniously ripped off, and they all now see Butch, as most of the rest of the SEC always has, as this blustering, comical figure. Does that sound about right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. All right, so let's get off Butch for a second. Let's move to the rest of the coach on the staff. Uh, this assistant coach pool, they saw a little bit of an upheaval 
this year. They got five assistants in new positions. Some of them were already on staff, but they've been promoted or moved around. But some guys have led to get brought in a guy, Brady Hoke, former coach in Michigan, former coach San Diego State, former defensive coordinator. Oregon lasted one year because it was a train wreck. He got fired after one year or moved on, whatever. And now he's a defensive line coach for Tennessee. You got Larry Scott being promoted to the offensive coordinator. Uh, what are you looking at from this particular assistant coaching group? Is this some? Is this a group of coaches that's going to do much in the, in the 2017 season? To me, I see it as like a potluck dinner. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, more or less. Yeah, you just kind of trying to put together pieces because I mean, he couldn't. I mean, he, I mean, it's, it's kind of what happened with Mark Rick. It comes to a point where the big time assistant. I mean, his, the big time assistants have never wanted to work with him, to be true, honest. True. But now there's no. Well, work. you got Bob Shoot. You got Bob Shoot. That was a big get. Uh, coming into the 2016 season, but other than that, you're right. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing is you know with the good players that he ends up getting, he doesn't do anything with them. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, their offense. I mentioned Larry Scott's new offense coordinator. Remember, Larry Scott was a guy uh, that was the interim coach for Miami uh, when Al Golden got fired. Did a pretty good job with them, but he, he's been around the block. But Larry Scott has never ever once in his life call plays at the collegiate level never he's never done it so i'm supposed to expect all of a sudden that you promote larry scott who's never done this before in his life that he's all of a sudden gonna be a superstar as a coordinator and is going to take the sec east by storm are you buying that not at all i, I don't see, i mean i know mike deboard wasn't great I, I mean he was decent enough he once he learned to use josh dobbs's legs appropriately took him long enough but he was okay-ish solid-ish i, I don't I mean, Larry Scott, I, I can't say, maybe, maybe there's some scenario where he becomes, a, where he's a better coordinator this year than DeBoer was. I don't know. But I, I, it's hard for me to believe that when he's never done it before. That's that's kind of scary. And you're right, saying that the coaches hadn't want to coach for him, especially when you're in a situation like this where you're on the hot seat this year, right? It's it's like when we were uh, trying to hire a defense coordinator once we fired Willie Martinez and we had to settle for Todd Grantham. Well, we had to settle for Todd Grantham because we couldn't get a big-time guy, another bigger name, like, oh, I don't know, maybe a Kirby Smart, because... Who knew how long Rick was going to be around? Rick was on the hot seat. And you find uh, Butch Jones in a similar situation. You're not going to be able to go out and get big-time assistant coaches when you're on the hot seat like that because they might only be there for a year. They don't want to uproot and move their family for a year, possibly, and then have to go and find another job all over again. So it's going to be interesting to see what this coaching staff is able to do this year. But let's move the conversation towards the players themselves, away from the coaches here. And let's start with the offense. I'm going to start with... Uh, just a few numbers here from the 2016 Tennessee offense. They were uh, they were somewhat balanced. They were a little more run heavy. They they ran the ball 56 percent of the time, only passed it 43 percent of the time. But that's not too far off kilter there. Uh, they were 22nd nationally in points per play last year, uh, which is really damn good. They were they were really good offensively last year. Josh Dobbs, who I used to beat up early in his career, he came back and had a pretty pretty solid year last year in his senior season. Uh, yards per play, they were 31st nationally at 6.1. They were 34th nationally in rush yards per game at over two, just a hair over 200 yards a game. Uh, yards per rush, they were also in the top 40, 36th nationally with 5.1 yards per rush. They were 61st nationally in passing offense, about 230 yards a game. Uh, they, uh, were, they were okay on the offensive line. The stuff rate, which is basically how many times, percentage of plays that they're being stopped, at or behind line of scrimmage was 30th nationally. The sack rate, which is their adjusted sack rate, is adjusted for pass attempts, was 58th nationally. So they were kind of eh, decent in protecting the quarterback. 
And they were a pretty explosive offense. They were 30th nationally in explosive plays, 30 yards or more. So, Kurt, I just ran through a list of numbers from the 2016 season for this Tennessee football team. But let me ask you this. After, re- after reading through all those numbers, what do those numbers actually mean for this volunteer offense in 2017? They mean nothing because they've lost a lot, almost everything in their backfield. They've lost both running backs with her gone. Kamara, you're truly your biggest weapon in receiving and running. And Dobbs, who was your second biggest threat with Josh his Malone, the receiver. Yeah. Yeah, you lose Josh Malone. All you have coming back is, uh, I forget his name at the top of my head. Jennings. Joanne yeah, Jennings. Jennings. That's all they've got coming back. Yeah, it's and funny they you mentioned been that. Recruiting at the higher level when they got these kids, either. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because of all those numbers I read off, and there were a lot there. I left out on purpose the most important stat of all of them, and you you alluded to it right there. They are losing seventy four point three percent of their offensive yards from scrimmage from a year ago. They only return, that means they only return 25.7% of their offensive production from a year ago, which is by far, not even close, the lowest in the SEC, and that's 124th out of 128 teams in the nation in terms of returning offensive production. So you weren't lying when you said they've lost everyone. They truly have. There's there's four teams, other than, there's four more teams in the nation that have lost more than them. That's not much. So... This is a team that's just – I don't know what to expect from them offensively, to be honest, because they've lost so much. I'll say this. It's hard for me to imagine they'll be better than they were last year. They were pretty good offensively last year. Those numbers would tell you that. But those guys are gone. I, I find it hard to believe they're going to put up better numbers with no Josh Dobbs, with a new starter quarterback, with your best receiver gone, Josh Malone, your best weapon out of the – two best weapons out of the backfield, and Alvin Kamara and Jalen Hurd when he was on the team. I don't know, man. This is – that's a recipe for disaster for this Tennessee offense. I just, I have a hard time seeing this. So let's make this as simple as possible. There's no need to make it unnecessarily complicated. Let's look at both the potential, because we don't know yet, we'll see, but coming into the season, the potential strengths and weaknesses for this Tennessee offense coming into this uh, 2017 season. So Kurt, what do you see as maybe some potential strengths of this unit going into 2017? On offense, yeah. uh, I think the only thing you can really say is maybe the offensive line. Yeah, their offensive line was solid last year, uh, for the and most part. Wolf, Wolf's a decent contributor, upperclassman at tight end. You know, Wolf, his freshman year, I was like, dude, this guy's going to be legit. Yeah, I saw this guy, I saw him play, the, I think the Florida game was the first time I saw him play his freshman year. I was like, this guy's, this guy's going to be good, he can play. And he's he's been a solid player for them. I don't think they use him like they probably should, or as much as they should. But he's kind of plateaued. He's never been a great player, you know. But he's been he's a guy that you watch and you watch him play. Like that guy could be really good if they use him the right way in the right system. So and yeah, now he's in, he's in his senior season, so he might be poised to make a play a couple plays for him this year. Uh I don't know, man. Strength offensive line. I'm with you. They they were pretty good last year. Remember a couple years back that was their major weakness, and they've kind of solidified that to a large degree. I will say, last year, their top offensive line recruit, Drew Richmond, remember him last year? Mm-hmm. Dude was a train wreck. I mean, he was absolutely freaking terrible. They tried to play him early in the season, almost start him, essentially. They saw quickly he couldn't get it done, and later in the season, they tried to insert him a little bit more. They had some injuries. I mean, dude, he couldn't do anything. He can't run block. He would. I, I can't tell you it, how many times I saw when I was breaking down the, the tape in preparation for the show, how many t- times I saw him get bull rushed and flat out pancaked by defensive ends just bull rushing the passer. 
mean, the guy has no punch. He sits there and waits for defenders to get on him instead of delivering the, the initial punch first. His footwork is terrible. He's got terrible base. I don't know, man. Like He's got a long way to go to be good. I know he's highly recruited and highly rated coming out of high school, but he was a disaster. But outside of him, they were pretty good on the offensive line. So I think that potentially could be a strength. Um, but let's move to the other side of the equation. What are you going to see as the if that because that didn't sound like they've got too much coming back that could be considered a strength. What would you say are the most glaring weaknesses of this unit coming this season? Skill position and experience. I mean, just general experience at all the skill positions. So, what is your opinion on the quarterback? What are they going to do at quarterback? So you've got you've got Quentin Dormady, a guy who's been there for a couple years in the system, never really played much, and then you've got. Guarantano, who's the young redshirt freshman who hasn't played any at all either. Um, and they kind of bowed out in the spring. Dormady had looked pretty solid in the spring game, although it was a weird setup for their spring game. I think they had some weather issues. But I think he went 12 for 12, if that means anything. Um, really, I don't think it does. So how do you see that playing out? Are they going to go with the veteran who's been in the system for a while? Or are you going to go with the young hotshot who might possibly be a little bit more talented? I think they're going to go with the young hotshot because he's so desperate to win that if he doesn't win right away, then he's got an excuse of, hey, we're breaking in any freshmen. But, are, I mean, is that is that enough that's going to say, I mean, is the Tennessee fan base really going to buy that? Is that going to save his job? Uh, the one reason it might is because who else are they going to hire? I mean, that's not a, some, a job they're breaking down the door to come to. Well, in the Tennessee's fans' mind, they think it's the greatest job in the history of the world. They're still convinced John Gruden's walking in the door tomorrow. They're still I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, realistically, they, I mean, but they they're not the realistic. That's the thing. They're not realistic. They, they think they need what they want. Butch, Butch Jones. I mean, that right there should tell you something. It, it should. You're right. But we're talking about Tennessee fans. They are delusional when it comes to that and the status of the program. I, it's just. I mean, I, I've been around too many of them. They just, they are absolutely delusional. They still. I mean, I still know Tennessee fans who claim that they swear up and down that Butch Jones was their first choice. Is the only guy they were going after. I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? Are are you crazy? There are crazy people in the world. They do exist. I can attest to that. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, do you really think that's their best option to win if they go with Guarantano? I think he's the type of guy that it's a, it's like one of those where he might make a mistake, but he could also make something special happen. I think he's more of a dual threat guy, which is why I think they ultimately go with him. I don't know if he's going to start game one, but they have a pretty decent matchup in game one. Of course, uh, Labor Day night against Georgia Tech in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So it's not like you can roll. It's not, you got just a, a baby seal, although Georgia Tech's not too far above a baby seal. I kid, I kid. Uh, or do I? Um, but so, do you want to roll a, a young guy out like that in, in a matchup like that, where you need, or because if Bush Jones loses that game on the big stage to Georgia Tech in in week one, oh my God, his seat is going to be scorching hot. It's not going to get him fired right right off the bat there, but that's going to set the stage for him. So can you afford in game one to start a, a young guy like that? Uh, I mean, it's dangerous. I think you got, I mean, you, you got to go with who you think is going to give you the best chance to win. you got to trust your evaluations, and if you think, even though he's young, if you think he gives you the best chance to win, then you go with him. I just, I mean, there's not enough information on either one of those guys to really know. I, I know, I think long-term, Warren Tano is going to be the guy throughout the, most of the season. Because he is a little bit more of a dual threat, can run the ball a little bit, which gives makes when an offense is losing so many different guys that were major contributors for him last year, that multi-dimensional aspect from the quarterback position is going to be important for them. And Dormany is not like a statue, but he's not as athletic as as Guarantano is. So if I had to to pick right now, I'd say Guarantano will probably be the guy for most of the season. I just don't know if he's going to start week one. It'd be interesting to see what Butch Jones does, and a lot of it probably play itself out over the course of fall camp as well. 
All right, I got another question for you on the offensive side of the ball here. So we mentioned they're losing Josh Malone, who's a guy, man, I really wanted him out of high school big time. I thought we had him for a bit. But we ended up losing him. He's an in-state guy and goes to Tennessee. So he uh, last year had 50 catches for 972 yards. He's gone. Uh, now, the guy that's the odds-on favorite to replace him, at least Tennessee fans are hoping, is Jawan Jennings, who I'm not even going to say why we know, but you guys know why we know him. Uh, but last season, he came in with 40 catches, only 10 less than Malone, but not near as explosive. He only had 580 yards on the season, seven touchdowns. So can Jawan Jennings step into the void left by Josh Malone and become a true number one wide receiver for Tennessee? I don't know. He didn't show it, truly. He's, he, he was very inconsistent. Well, he showed the ability to be a solid possession type receiver. He, like, I, I, Look at his numbers. Seriously, I mean, Malone had 50 catches for almost 1,000 yards, 972 yards. Jennings only had 10 less catches, but for about 400 less yards. So, and maybe it was because where their offense was set up and they wanted to get those explosive shots to Malone, but Jennings wasn't overly explosive for most of the season. He's a guy that worked in immediate range uh, pretty well. And he's going to have to be the number one receiver this year. They don't really have much coming back outside of him. Um, Tyler Bird's a guy they had last year as a, as a true freshman, but Jennings is the guy they want to be the number one guy. But here's my thing. Even if Jennings is able to be the number one receiver, who's going to compliment him this year? That's the question they have to answer. And I don't know if they can. Last year, one of the reasons Josh Malone was so effective is because you have Jawan Jennings on the other side of the ball that you have to pay attention to as well. So you can't completely bracket or double uh, Malone out there in your coverages. You have to pay some attention to Jennings. Well, now, if, okay, so... Malone moves on. Jennings moves into Malone's role. Well, who's going to move into Jennings' role? Because if they don't have a guy to compliment Jennings, he's not the kind of guy that's going to consistently beat bracket coverage. He's just not that kind of guy. He's not going to do it. Now, if someone emerges, maybe it's a Tyler Bird or whoever it is that might emerge for them. Maybe an Ethan Wolf, a tight end. I just I don't know that. I, I think they're going to have a tough time replacing Josh Malone, not just because of how good Malone was, although he was a really good receiver, because they don't have that number two guy that Jennings was last year for Malone. Jennings can try to step in to be the number one guy this year, but if you don't have a number two, you're just not going to be as effective. He's just not a, tran- a kind of transcendent receiver talent that's going to be able to, even if he's double and triple coverage, be able to, to get himself open. He's just not going to be able to do that, in my opinion. All right, the last question here about their offense, before we flip it over to the defense side of the ball, let's look at their running back position. We talked about this a little bit earlier. They lose Alvin Kamara, who was a jack-of-all-trades, and I don't think they use Kamara that well. I, I think they could have used him a lot better than they did last year. They should have used him more. Uh, they used him in some creative ways time to time. They just didn't use him enough, in my opinion, especially once Hurd left. And then you got Jalen Hurd, who I said is now a wide receiver at Baylor. Weird. Uh, and really all they're left in the running back position right now is a guy named John Kelly. And he came in late in the season after Hurd decided he was going to transfer from the program. And he kind of was the one-two punch with Kamara. And he's a solid back. But, Kurt, my question for you is, in 2017, is John Kelly – going to be able to elevate his game to where he becomes a true SEC feature running back? No. You don't see it at all? No chance? I just don't think he's that good. Yeah, I'm with you. I, he's not an SEC feature running back. Okay, let me get, let me throw this at you. I, I've been on record saying I don't think that Jordan Scarlett for Florida is a feature back, a true number one feature back. Who's better? Would you say Kelly or Scarlett? I'd go Scarlett. I would go Scarlett too. Kelly's a solid guy. He's... He's a he's not real tall, but he's pretty stout. He's, he's over two hundred pounds. Uh, he run he does a good job. He's not huge. He does a good job running by his pad level. He can get real skinny in the holes. I like that about him. He runs hard. Uh, he's got decent ish speed. He's quick in the hole. He has, he has that kind of make you miss ability in the hole. But he's not a game changer running back. At least I haven't seen that from him yet. 
and I watched a couple games uh, where he played significantly down the stretch last year. So I'm with you, man. I just I don't see. I think he's a good solid back. He'd be a good number two kind of guy, but I don't think he's a true number one SEC feature running back. Maybe he proves me wrong. I just I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it at this point. And if Kelly doesn't prove to be that feature back for them this year, I don't know who will be. I don't know what other options they have because outside of Kelly and his 630 yards rushing last year on 98 carries, an average of 6.4 yards a carry, which is pretty respectable. That's good. That's solid stuff. Um, but a lot of that had to do with Josh Dobbs being there and him boasting that run threat himself and being able to give him a plus-one scenario in any running situation that they were in last year. I don't know if they'll have that this year with the quarterbacks they're going to put out there. But outside of Kelly and his 630 yards rushing, the leading rush, leading returning rush they have outside of Kelly is Carlin Fields in, a guy that we recruited a couple years back, and we kind of uh, uh, cooled on a little bit down the stretch. We had some better options, but... Phil Zaim had 14 carries for 58 yards last year. So that's who they got returning running back. 630 yards in John Kelly and then 58 yards in Phil Zaim. I'm sure they've got some young guys they recruited, but, man, that's a huge void to fill there with both Hurd and Kamara. And let's not forget Josh Dobbs, how much rushed for 1,000 yards himself. He was a major part of their rushing attack last year. So I just don't know what they're going to do if John Kelly does not prove to be the feature a feature running back in this system. And right now, I just don't think he will be. At least not in the vein of a Nick Chubb or Darius Geis or Leonard Fournette or Todd Gurley of years past. He's just not that type of back. He's a good back, just not that level. All right, and on the other side of the equation here, let's flip it over and look at the Tennessee defense. Kurt, what is your outlook for the Tennessee defense coming into this season? It's going to be a rough year. Why do you say that? Just the lack of returning players they have yeah i'm with you man um it's much for me it's much the same story as the offense right they just they've got i mean look at the guys are losing you got Derek barnett who broke reggie white's career sack record now they put they played more games but whatever he still broke it that dude was a beast man from year from day one Derek barnett was a beast uh you lose Jalen reason maybe he was hurt a lot last year but he still was their stud inside linebacker you lose your best uh db in cam sutton yeah, those at each level, those are big time guys that are gone from your program. Also, a bunch of other contributors as well. Now, they did have some major injury issues last year, which contributed to some of their their horrible play. But I just I don't know, man. Like for me, here's what I'm seeing: like most teams have to replace production on one side of the ball or the other because it's it's college football. It's cyclical. It's how it works. You know, guys come, they graduate, they leave, they go pro, whatever. You're gonna have you're gonna have to replace guys at some spots. Sometimes it be more offensive guys, sometimes more defensive guys, whatever. That's that's commonplace. But rarely do you see teams that are as decimated on both sides of the ball as Tennessee will be coming into this 2017 season based off what they had last year. It's it's just crazy. They've lost so much talent on both sides of the ball. And let me give you some numbers. I'll give you a couple of numbers on the offensive side of the ball. Let's give you a couple on the defense here. To end the regular season last year, they three consecutive games to end the regular season – this defense gave up over 600 yards of total offense. They gave up 635 to Kentucky. They gave up 740 yards to Missouri. And then they gave up 608 yards to Vanderbilt, one of the most anemic offenses in the entire league last year with South Carolina. 600 yards plus to Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Okay? And in every major defense category last year, they were in the 100s in terms of where they were ranked. This is, well, most, I shouldn't say every, a lot of them, most of them. And Vanderbilt last year was in the 100s in every major offensive category, and they still put up over 600 yards on Tennessee. So 
when you look at that defense, those how they ended the season last year in the regular season, are they going to be better than that? they got to be better than that, right? I honestly don't think they will be. They're going to get 600-plus yards every game this year? Not that consistently, but I don't see them being that improved. Really? There's no one that's going to step in and do anything for them? It's really hard to, you know, sit there and put your uh, your belief in someone that I just don't think they have recruited as well as they were and that they don't have that same talent. Yeah, you're right, they haven't. Here's one spot where I think they might be a little bit better, and that's on the interior defensive line. Because last year, you remember a couple of years ago, talking about the, the early recruiting classes, some of the guys they got, Khalil McKenzie, Shy Tuttle, those two big-time defensive line recruits they got a couple of years ago, those guys have yet to live up to their potential. And a lot of that has to do with injuries. They've both been injured quite a bit. They were injured most of last year, at least the second half of last year. And when those guys were gone, they had moved Kyle Phillips as a guy they signed as a, as a pass rusher, but he's just he hasn't done anything for them. They bulked him up and moved him on the to the inside. They moved Vickers inside a little bit. And those guys were just getting blown off the ball, down in and down out, whenever anybody was trying to run the ball. I mean, it was just embarrassing for them. But it looks like McKenzie and Tuttle will be ready to open this season. Will they make any difference for this Tennessee defense in stopping the run? Uh, maybe a little bit. Um, I just don't see it being the difference they need. I agree. I think, at best, the defense line is going to be okay. Because Okay, so you add... McKenzie and you add Tuttle into the equation on the interior, well, you lose Derek Barnett. I mean, that that was the key to your entire defense. He's gone. Okay, They were as bad as they were last year with Derek Barnett. He wasn't one of the guys that was injured. He was there every single game. And then you now they moved a guy like Michael Kongbo. They moved, he was inside a little bit last year. He was a Juco they got last year. They were really high on. He played it on the interior last year, which was way out of position for him. They're going to move him to the outside on the edge. There'd be a pass rusher this year. be interesting to see if he's able to generate any kind of consistent pass rush. I don't know if he will. I, I just... He's he's kind of he's got some stiffness in his game. He doesn't have a great pass rushing repertoire. At least he didn't show that last year. Granted, he was playing inside a lot of the time, but when he did get opportunities on the perimeter on the edges there, I didn't see it from him. So that's a guy they're going to be counting on largely. Maybe Kyle Phillips, although he has been a major disappointment uh, based off what he was projected to be coming in to Tennessee. So yeah, Demas Vine, I think is okay at best. They're getting a few guys back. But they're also losing some key players as well at linebacker. I think they're going to be terrible. Remember, you remember the name Cortez McDowell from a couple years ago in recruiting? Yep. Remember that name? He, he was recruited as a safety, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now he's playing linebacker for Tennessee, and oh my God, he's freaking terrible. He is downright awful. He's got no linebacker instincts whatsoever. He cannot read a play. He just stands there and hesitates for three or four seconds, waits the ball carriers are basically on before he even moves. He doesn't just doesn't understand even the football. It doesn't seem like his ability to read and recognize and diagnose – it's it's comical. He was awful. Does not deliver any kind of hit whatsoever. If he did make a tackle, it was about six or seven yards down the line of scrimmage, a la Keith, Keith Brooking from Falcons lore years ago. Just a terrible linebacker, and he's slated to be a starter for them this year. And I know, yeah, they had some injuries last year, so those guys got some playing time. Cortez McDowell being one that got playing time, but he was terrible. I don't that playing time didn't mean anything for him. Darren Kirkland, his running mate there on the inside linebacker, is he's better. He's a solid player, but he's not as good as Jalen Reeves Maven was at his best. So I think they're going to be bad at linebacker. I don't think they're going to be that good in the secondary. Uh, here's another name, Micah Aberdathy from GAC. Remember him from recruiting? Mm-hmm. Well, now he's playing significant time for them in the secondary at safety, and he's he's lost back there. He's he, 
try to tackle an open space in an adventure for him. It just he's embarrassing trying to do that. So I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not high on the Tennessee football team at all. I think they lost too much on offense. I don't see any way they can possibly replace all the production they lost. They might have some guys to step up, but there's no way they can replace all the different production guys that produce for them. 75% of their offensive production gone. Defensively, you lose some of the best players in your team and you expect them to be better. Yeah, I know those guys got a lot of playing time last year, but when they got playing time, they were freaking terrible. They gave up 600-plus yards to Kentucky, Missouri, and Venerable in consecutive weeks. That's terrible. It's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, all right, and uh, I let's talk about special teams here real quick. Evan Berry, difference maker kick at kick returner in your mind? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's got four career touchdowns at kick returner. Uh, they do lose the best punt returner in Cam Sutton, but Barry does return. He is a threat. He's a difference maker back there. He's a guy you got to keep your eye on, no doubt about it. Uh, all right, so let's move on to this next question, your next section. Now, let me qualify this next question by saying this is obviously based on the information we have right now. And since zero games have been played in the 2017 season, admittedly, that isn't all that much. But, Kurt, how do we look – Based on what we know right now, how do we look to match up with this Tennessee football team in 2017? Uh, I think we match up better than we have in the past. What matchups do you like particularly? Um, their skill against their skill receivers against our uh, our DBs uh, one for one thing because for a while they had just the big receivers that we just couldn't stop. Do you think we have the ability to leave our corners out there? On, I shouldn't say on an island, but can we play single high safety where that's cover three or whatever it is and be able to bring one of the safeties down the box to control the run? Do you think our secondary can hold up in that look? I do right now, yes. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that Jawan Jennings is a guy that, I mean, based off what we see right now, and we'll see when the season gets here in a couple months, but if you play cover three, you get single high safety or whatever you want to play with just one the single high safety looks, you can somewhat lean towards Jennings' way if you feel that's necessary and force whoever that number two guy is going to be, force him to beat you. Force him to beat you in man coverage. And if they do, then you have to readjust. You have to reevaluate. But I don't know if they have a guy that can do that consistently right now. So if we're able to do that, if our secondary can hold up in those looks and allow us to dedicate more to the box and control the running game, I think we can stifle their offense for the most part coming into this season. I, at least that's how I'm looking at it right now. And I, I'll reserve the right to readjust that as we see the teams on the field. But just looking at it right now, I think that we have a fair chance there. Do you like uh, our offense? I mean, we do. We were. I mean, we were bad offensively last year. We're pretty terrible. Is our offense going to be able to move the ball against the Tennessee defense? I think so. In my opinion, we should. I think we'll be able to run the football. Uh, I think that's where they'll push yeah. us the most. But I still think that their lack of linebackers is what's yeah. going to help us. With I agree. That. I think we should have our way. Honestly, I think we should have our way with this Tennessee defense. I think. We, I think most teams will that play them. Most at least. Decent football teams will have their way with that Tennessee defense. I don't think they're going to be very good. So, yeah, I think we match up pretty well there. Should be able to run the ball. I mean, you, know, you, you do get Khalil McKenzie and Shai Tuttle back, but I still don't know what they have in those guys. They were really hyped coming out of high school, but they've been hurt so much. It's hard to say that they're great. Maybe they will be. We'll see. But the linebacker play is just – it was downright awful last year for them. Uh, unless they make a dramatic improvement there, I don't see why we won't be able to just run the football over them, uh, even with our offensive line. Uh, all right, so, Kurt, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you anyway. I'm just going to ask you anyway, since they were the prohibitive favorite to win the SEC East in 2016, is this a team that in any way, shape, or form can win the SEC East in 2017? No, I could easily see them finishing fourth. Really? Uh, I actually yeah. completely agree with you. If you had to give me a... Uh, because they have to go to South Carolina is one big thing. No, they got South Carolina at home this year. They had them at home last year. No, I 
think. Oh, no, you're right. They yeah. Got they got him at home this year. I think I go to Missouri, who I think is going to be. We'll get to them later. I think Missouri is going to be a sneaky, tough team. I think, actually, right now, I would predict Missouri to beat Tennessee in, in Columbia this year. If you had to give me a projection right now, just off the top of your head, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but if you had to give me a projection right now, what would you say Tennessee finishes with record wise in 2017? At the most, 7 and 5. At most, 7 and 5. Yeah. Whew, man. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I'm going to run through this. I see them losing to us. Florida, Alabama, Missouri, and maybe South Carolina. Yeah, dude. I, I would say like, the only reason I'm going to give them the Georgia Tech win is because I think with the entire offseason to prepare for the triple offense, triple option offense, I think they should be able to handle that. I know they had never seen it before, but they had the entire offseason to prepare for that. Tech generally struggles in those situations where teams have extended time to prepare for them. So I'll give them the win against Tech. Um, they beat Indiana State. They're going to lose at Florida. Florida's better than them. It's at Florida. Um, I... Anytime we go up to Nayland, even if, I, I don't think this team's going to be great. Anytime we go up there, it always makes me nervous. It's a tough environment to play in. It might be a night. Who knows? But I'm going to give us uh, the edge there. I think we have more talent right now. So that's two losses. Uh, South Carolina at home, man. Oh, dude. And they have two weeks to prepare, though. They do have two weeks to prepare for South Carolina. I'll give them that one. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I'll give them that one. I still give them a loss to Bama. To Bama. At Kentucky. At Kentucky, they could lose that game. That's a, t- that's a toss-up. Yeah, that's a, that's a complete toss-up. So let me say this. So South Carolina and Kentucky, I think both those games are toss-ups. I think they lose one of those games. Yeah. I really and then do. Some miss, they beat Missouri, I, I agree. I think they lose, and I think they lose to LSU at home. Yeah, so let me count that. Vanderbilt? And, uh, they want revenge. They want revenge on Vanderbilt. They're not going to get – yeah, Vanderbilt's not going to get them two years in a row, not in Nealon. Uh, so that, let me count that up. So I got one, two, three, four – Five, six. I got a six and six is what I got. Okay, let me be safe. Go seven and five. Yeah, let me go safe. They'll probably upset. Maybe they'll upset somebody here or there. Uh, but yeah, seven and five. I have a hard time looking at that schedule and saying there's going to be more than seven wins. Okay, because I'm going to say at Florida is a definite loss. I, I'm not going to give us a, a definite win over them. I think we should beat them, but crazy things happen in Neyland. But definitely lose to Florida. Definitely lose to Alabama. I think they're definitely going to lose to LSU at home. That's at least three losses right there. I think that we beat them too. So I'm going to say four. I mean, eight and four might be the ceiling for this team. Is that enough for Butch Jones to keep his job? Eight and four? I don't think so. I think seven and five, he's done. Okay. Eight and four, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, calls for his head, but it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting call there at eight and four. I think he'll have a ch- it could go either way there. Seven and five, I think he's done. Eight and four, it could go either way. It'll be interesting there, but... Yeah, probably seven. I could see six and six. I think that's probably their floor, but I could also see eight and four, anywhere from six and six to eight and four for this Tennessee team. So I don't know. Well, if that happens, Tennessee fans will not be happy. But I'm. I just they're losing. Like I said, they're losing too much production on both sides of the ball. You might be able to replace one or two of those guys, but nowhere, but nowhere near are you gonna be able to replace all of them. And if you can't replace all that production in one year, and you didn't even win the SEC East last year with, with all those players that you had, how can how can Tennessee expect to do it this year when some of the other teams in the league, like us, like Florida, who have been down for the last few years, and I think South Carolina and Missouri also been down for the past couple years, they look poised to take a step forward this year. So, and then you add to that, add to all that, the, the pressure on Butch Jones and his coaching staff has been reworked in a major way. An offensive coordinator who's never called plays before in his life and you draw Alabama and LSU from the West, like I said, like we just said, went over. That's a recipe for seven and five, eight and four at best. Just 
And honestly, if you didn't win the East last year with all those players, how, can you, how are you going to win it this year when, other, when the other teams in the league are taking a step forward? I just, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. All right, guys. Well, that does it for our preview of the Tennessee Volunteers. Check back with us later in the week as we will do a combined show. We're going to do Vanderbilt and Missouri together, uh, which I, I know you, you hear Vanderbilt. Who cares about Vanderbilt? Hey, just trust me. Check it out, especially Missouri. I'm going to give you a little teaser. I think Missouri is going to be one of the surprise teams in the entire SEC this year. So check back with us later this week as we go through Vanderbilt and Missouri. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Check us out on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also check us out. Uh, check well, check us out on Twitter. And while you're doing so, uh, definitely vote on the poll we have running right now, giving your take on what the perception is uh, for this matchup against Tennessee going into the season. How you guys perceive this matchup as we prepare to open the season here in a couple of short months. So for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Always, guys, we appreciate it. Go dogs.